Hello everybody, welcome to the mailbag. The mailbag's back and it's a delight and I'm in the seat and opposite me is Andy Brassel and to my right is Nicky Band. My first time for the mailbag, and I didn't realise it's an actual bag. Look at it, it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, we've got a bag full of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and Discord as well. Um, well, and a very warm welcome to our, our Patreon subscribers. God bless you. Or as I like to call you, all my favourite Ramble listeners, uh, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. But it's a pleasure to have you here, and we've got some uh, questions to get through from your good selves. We'll dive straight into that bag. Uh, shall we? And uh, we, we've got this one from Danny O'Connor06, who asked this on the Discord. After seeing this round of FA Cup games, how are cup competitions in other leagues treated? Are they seen as a major part of the season or slowly an inconvenience as it seems to be in England? What do you think, Nicky? What does it seem um, like in, uh, in in Italy? I actually think, and of course, some of this may be my own skewed impression because I think we all... I mean, look, I'm, I'm 36. Um, I grew up uh, with one perception of football. And, and of course, your perception is slightly influenced by when, what age you are when different things happen. But I think I certainly felt when I was younger that um, the Coppa Italia from uh, from talking to people then was not treated as, mm. as big of a deal as it is now. And I think actually, in my sense, it's even especially been in the last decade or so. And I think part of that is almost because you've had this period when Juventus have been so dominant that two things have happened. One is that for Juventus at a certain point to make a season meaningful, they had to win something more than the league. And so that increased the procedure for them in doing it. But at the same time, for every other club, it was something that could be won, something Mm. that was possible. Mm. Um, And so I certainly feel like it's been um, treated more seriously by the big clubs in this last period than it was maybe when I was younger. What's interesting about this season particularly is perhaps a counterpoint to that but the Coppa Italia is at risk of becoming this thing that gets kicked about and and mistreated because of the ongoing um, situation with coronavirus and games being well hopefully there'll be no more games postponed now the government has said no games are going to be played with fans until April 3rd so everything's been behind closed doors hopefully that'll mean no more postponements but because there's already been a lot and because there is a genuinely unresolvable conundrum right now of where Juventus and Inter would play all of their games if they stay in the cup competitions. They're already in the Coppa Italia semi-finals. They've played the first leg. Um, they both have second legs to come and then they have the Champions League and Europa League respectively. If they go to the final of both competitions, it's basically impossible um, to to resolve getting their games played. And so some creative solutions are being discussed like having a summer tournament or playing uh in the build-up to next season in August rather than at the end of this season. So perhaps that recasts how you're treating the cup competition. You are treating it as secondary to getting the league done. But I suppose everywhere the league still takes priority. And in some sense, maybe what they're trying to do is is still to give that some level of prestige rather than forcing it into gaps mm-hmm. where it doesn't fit. But it definitely, um, it definitely is a, a really interesting moment for the Coppa Italia. Yeah. And, would, I be, would I be right in saying that when Jose Mourinho was manager of Inter and they won the Coppa Italia, was that one of the moments where, because I, I remember a couple of people in Italy saying, you know, when they won the tournament and they were celebrating, they're like, well, why are you so happy about that kind of thing? Because yeah. he was obviously trying to get that, as people always say, that winning mentality, win every, any trophy, breed that kind of thing. And obviously they did the treble at Inter as well. well it's it's yeah. funny you should say that because in the year that 
Porto could have won the treble under Mourinho in 2004, um, they lost the Tassa final despite winning the league and the Champions He didn't take it well. No. He really did not take it well. It's and been part, a shame, actually. Part of it... that because he relatively freshly left Benfica, what, the three years before, and mm. he was beaten by Benfica in the final and Benfica-Porto. It's always, mm-hmm. it's always something. I mean, I do kind of wonder, you talk, Nicky, about the, the, the possibility of you know, teams in closed leagues being able to go and win something, something that looks more achievable. But actually, I think you can look at it the other way around because if you look up until last season, certainly when Valencia beat uh, Barcelona in the final and Rennes beat Paris Saint-Germain in the Coupe de France final, and the Coupe de France is a a different discussion that I'm sure we'll come to in a minute, it feels like in the age of super club dominance and absolutism, they're greedy for more. They want to win the treble. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a a massive Mm -hmm. big deal to them. And, you know, they, they want to... They want to get it all. And, you know, you look back before that and, you know, you had four, four copper wins in a row for Barcelona. You had um, four for Juventus, didn't you? Four for Paris Saint-Germain, I think. So, uh, as well, it's not as if it's become more sort of accessible to others because, uh, you know, the big teams are, are copping out of it. You know, they, they really go hard for it, especially in the, in the last rounds, don't they? Well, what's interesting, actually, is that I think you're right. And I think that's an interesting thing to sort of hard to pull apart from was Mourinho's attitude and influence is Juventus dominance mm. and influence is this partly just um a, a newer modern culture of football and actually um to do with increasing visibility of football and to mm. do with increasing sponsorship importance like being able to say look we won something but I was thinking while you were talking actually it's in recent years Nick, I feel like it's not just that the Coppa Italia has been talked about with a higher prestige but even the Supercoppa which is equivalent to the charity shield it's a yes. cup winner against yeah, the league yeah, yeah. but people talk about that very earnestly every year as a trophy like it's mm. a thing that matters i was thinking about rafa benitez in 2010 winning the supercoppa and being like that's my first italian trophy <laughs> of what turned out to be not many italian yeah, trophies yeah, yeah. um but yeah maybe like, he knew yeah oh the propaganda <laughs> machines i mean go back to Mourinho, obviously infamously said at manchester united we won a treble which included yeah. the community shield and then recently manchester city one was said to have won eight of nine domestic trophies, and I thought that's rather oh yeah, Community Shield, okay. Well, Juventus have absolutely done that. Talked yeah. about domestic trebles with the, the the cup and the league and the Supercoppa. So well, they've like got it's... some leagues to replace, right? Yeah. So... But they also don't have a they don't have a second cup competition uh, no. like we do in England no. or and, Portugal. And I think that certainly the perspective from Italy is that the second cup competition is madness. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that you'd have two is. <laughs> Is is crazy, you know. In Italy, they they're talking about again this coronavirus epidemic has has um, led to renewed calls from a lot of people for we should be playing an eighteen team league so we have mm-hmm. more time to get everything done around it. Um, but interestingly, sometimes the the counterpoint comes back. Well, look at England; they play two cup competitions and they manage. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think a lot of people think it's mad. Yeah, okay. I think the extent of the the, the pressure between the, the 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 big clubs in cup competitions though is is notable. I mean, I remember. Going back to the Tasta Portugal, and we're talking about the Benfica Porto rivalry. But one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in a cup semi final was in the second leg. It was in 2011, and I was at the second leg of a Tasta semi final between Benfica and Porto. Now, the way you talked about fitting it into the, the, the calendar, Nicky, the way it's divided up, certainly in that season, it was the season where uh, Village Boas took them to the um the the, the the treble and basically they played the 
first leg at Porto, which Benfica won 2-0 in January. And then the return leg wasn't until April. Mm-hmm. And Porto went 3-0 up, uh, really riding the crest of a wave. And Benfica pulled one back. And I remember Carlos Martins, the um, Benfica midfielder, um, turn it, turning around once they'd got it back. And they were still going to go out on away goals. And he turned to George Jesus on the touchline, who's animated at the best of times, and going, we're all right now, aren't we? And him going, no, we need one more. <laughs> and he's waving his finger on the touchline and going absolutely bonkers. But, you know, when, when you're talking about uh, cup shocks and the idea of proper sort of widescreen involvement, you still think about the, the Coupe de France. I mean, that means a lot when you've got you know, teams from other territories. But yeah, yeah. I think we might have to do that another day, right? <laughs> Indeed, and you're giving well, me the look. Well, you were talking I about. Remember Paul... that, I recognise that look from mailbags past. <laughs> what a what a welcome return for that Nostalgic. look, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, but you mentioned in Portuguese. But we have a question from uh, Jamie Arathun, I think that's pronounced, who said, "Would you be able to talk a bit about the state of Portuguese football and what all four Portuguese teams getting knocked out of the Europa League in the round of 32 means for the next few seasons?" Over to you, Andy. Well, um, in terms of UEFA coefficient. Um, it, it could be an issue mm. uh, because um, Portugal's just got its third Champions League place back and um, that's a big thing. But it's, it's tight. So we know that um, Europa League, which uh, Europa League coefficient points count as, as, as much as Champions League points do. So this is something that's, that's taken very seriously. And the fact that, as Jamie says, they all went out in the same week is a massive, massive deal. Mm. I mean, if it hadn't have been for the fact that Braga and Porto can't play at home on the same day and Braga went out to Rangers on the Wednesday afternoon, they all would have gone out on the same night. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it was a disastrous week yeah, for them. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's been a lot of soul searching in, in, in recent years as well because, you know, going back to talking about Mourinho, it's, it's not that long since a Portuguese club won the Champions League. That's not a lifetime ago, is it? 2004. Yeah. And, you know, since then, Obviously, you've had Benfica you reach... You say that, but there's 18-year-old footballers right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. All right. Yeah. Have, you, have you written a book since that, Andy? Yeah. Is what I'm saying. If, if, if you're old, <laughs> it's not a long time ago. Yeah, and of course, Porto won it in 1987, was it? Yeah, but... Yeah, so again, I mean, I was alive for that as well, you know. Very, very good, Marcus, very good. But, uh, you know, since then, of course, you've had... Um, Porto win the, win the Europa League in, mm-hmm. in, in 2011. You've had Benfica get to a, a couple of finals and continue the Gutman curse. Yeah. So this is a huge part of, of Portuguese football's not just success in terms of um, being able to compete in, in European competition and being able to, to compete with leagues like France and Russia where clubs have more money. It's really important to their self-image as well. Really, really mm-hmm. important to their self-image. And that's been the main thing, I think, mm. the main take-home from the, 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 last, the last week or two. Not the fact that or we might be missing out on coefficient points. But the fact that we need to take a look at ourselves, especially as Benfica came relatively close Mm. to getting through and made a mess of it um, at the end when they they gave themselves a little chance and then they were 2-0 up in the 90th minute of that that Champions League penultimate game against uh, Leipzig and and then Leipzig drew by scoring twice in in stoppage time. And... um, yeah, the the fact that Benfica haven't been able to get it done in the Champions League in recent times has been, you know, a, a, a real problem for them. 
And, mm. um, you know, I think people, when they were looking from moving on from Rui Vittoria to Bruno Lage, the thing that they really hoped Bruno Lage could do is bring them back to a decent place in the Europa, uh, in, in the um, European competition because, you know, this is a huge part of Benfica's identity. If they don't win the European Cup in 61 or 62, are Benfica the biggest club in Portugal? You know, there's that famous quote about that everyone in Portugal reigns out that supports Benfica about, you know, seven out of 10 Portuguese support Benfica. Does that exist without 61 and 62? I'm not convinced it does. It's an important as building in building them as an iconic club as the first five European Cups are in building Real Madrid as, mm. as an iconic um, club in, in Europe and yeah. the world. Well, if you want to hear more about that final, do check out Greatest Games with Jonathan Wilson and I as we covered it in uh, one of our ones with, I think, Miguel Delaney, if my memory or, serves or me correctly. Or just come around my house and put a glass to the double glazing. <laughs> he's, always, he's always talking about that game. Pretty much. Can't move for it. Um, yeah, Craig Onion has said, can you please empty the mailbag and then shove all the Tottenham players, manager and leave you into it and then take turns hitting it with <laughs> baseball bats? Well, despite, Craig, despite what Nicky said at the start, there is actually, there is no mailbag. The mailbag is more of a sort of an ideal. It's a philosophy. It's a sort of way of life, if you see what I mean. So I'm, I'm very sorry we can't help you out there, Craig. Um, but what about this one? You, you could from, stick them into that philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> what, Mourinho's philosophy? I think that would. Uh, there's a clash of philosophies there. Um, uh, Ralph Blackburn uh, has said this on Twitter. What has happened to Josef Ilicic from being a mercurial talent to one of the best players in Serie A? Is he the most influential player in the league? And will he spend the rest of his career in Bergamo? Well, you've missed out a very important end to that message, which is the... Ralph signing off his name, which I appreciate the formality of his tweet. <laughs> we I do like that. Good, you know, good writing etiquette. Mm, um, Mr. Blackburn. Um, I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Ilicic is is first thing. Just have to say it. Like he's so much fun to watch this season. <laughs> Atalanta is so much fun to watch this season. But it's definitely true that Gasperini has achieved the thing that no other manager has managed to do with him, which is to get consistency from him to get him. Um, to get him producing these performances week in and week out. And some of that is, um, it's hard to know because of course, and I think people don't recognize this and, and perhaps talk about it enough, but of course the same as any human in any job, part of that's going to be to now to do with the point of life that he's at and the, this the feelings of what he wants from his career and what he thinks achieved in his career and feeling like, okay, Maybe this is the point at which I need to, to double down and apply myself. But do you think he's been it, inspired by what's happening around him at Atalanta, and that's made him th- grasp th- the moment? I think that's. I think that's a little bit of what I was trying to say. Like right. I think that um, there's a rising tide effect. Mm. I think that the, the more that Atalanta have achieved, the more that the players have realised they're doing something that's mm. extraordinary. The more you're going to get maximum effort out of everyone because mm. everyone has bought in. Everyone has this, um, yeah, this absolute buy-in to, to what's happening. I think it's also worth saying, though, that Gasparini is, um, I was actually having this conversation with someone literally just this week. They were talking about um, Ilicic and, and Gomez. And when you watch those two in particular in this Atalanta team, because Gasparini has talked very publicly about empowering his players and trusting them in the one-on-ones, and that is definitely embedded into their tactics. Like Players are trusted to to act on their instincts and to back themselves and to take chances, to take shots in particular, you see shots coming from everywhere. No, it's got so many, I mean, seven goals their last game. Was, yeah. You know, I mean, crying out loud. Absolutely. And from players who aren't forwards. Yeah. Um, that you can get an impression that it's just a free-for-all. And I think if you look game to game at Ilicic and Gomez in particular, 
you see them interpret their positions quite differently from game to game. Sometimes either of them might be really hugging the, the touchline and sometimes they'll be coming inside and um, especially with Papu, but both of them, like sometimes you'll look at them at uh, the heat map afterwards and be like, God, you were everywhere. Like you were, <laughs> you were all over the pitch. And I think it's, it's easy to look at that and think, oh, this is just um, total freedom and it's just them um, doing it. And I think it's not that. I think the Gasperini is actually an incredibly meticulous coach. And I think if you listen to Jose Mourinho, since he's the theme of this <laughs> podcast, when he was in, in Italy, he said that he found Gasperini the, the toughest manager he coached against because every move he made, there was a counter move. So I think that there is an element to which they have been um, so, I don't know, like so drilled and re-drilled together mm -hmm. on how to interact um when you see, yes there's freedom but when you see him do this you do this mm -hmm. that actually a bit like Lazio this season it's it's a team that has become so much more than some of its parts and I think funnily enough actually all through um Gasperini's time at Atalanta they've been more than some of their parts and what's sort of the I it feels like a negative thing to, to say of it but what's almost the, the, the most revealing part of that project is when you look at the number of players who myself included I've been so excited about in recent years who've then gone on somewhere else and not really delivered to the same level mm. you know Gagliardini Frank Kessier Conti Caldera's mm -hmm. injuries mm. have been a part in some of these players as well but these are players who were so yeah. brilliant there that you just have to believe that for Ilicic and for everyone there a bit of it is Gasperini and the magic of that environment what he's been able to create mm -hmm. what he's been able to to get the buy-in on. Well, um, that was, that's what I was going to ask you, because Gasparini is obviously so crucial to this. Our Atalanta, you know, in, in, so it's, take someone like, I don't know, Sheffield United, you know, if Chris Wilder left to go yeah. somewhere else, you would think, well, to, to, to have what they have with, with those players, to, to what he's getting out of them, it would, you, you'd struggle to think of someone who could, who yeah. could come in and, and, and carry that on or do something. Would it be the same with Gasparini, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Atlanta are a well-run club with a very good youth system mm -hmm. who are smart about who they buy and sell. And so far, at least in this glorious run they're on, you know, in a Champions League last 16 and <laughs> looking likely to go back to it next season, they've not done anything stupid and outspent their means. So structurally, they're not going to fall apart. But would they be a Champions League side without Gasparini tomorrow? No, not in my opinion mm -hmm. at all. Um, I've realised that in all that long answer, I didn't say so much about Illich. I just want to say, like, he is mm -hmm. technically an incredible footballer and has been all along. The thing is, you notice the technique more because he looks quite awkward as an athlete. He's kind of a Balkan Chris <laughs> yeah. Waddle, isn't he, really? Yeah. Ah, lovely that's one. A yeah. Great, yeah. That's a great comparison. Uh -huh. I'd never, yeah, Dad, I would never have thought of Chris Waddle, but I like it. Have you seen Chris Waddle's new haircut? He's gone a bit peaky blinders. Really? Yeah. I was going to say, at the age that, of 59. it's not like the old haircut, is it? Well, we would all welcome that. Well, there's an element of it, show for other side. I remember walking around the Stad Velodrome one of the first times I, I went there, uh -huh. and they just had, you know, they have these mannequins in the window of the, <laughs> the, the, the shop with the, the shirts on. They just had one t shirt, and it was a picture of him, mm. a print of him with the Davy Crockett hat on, oh and it God. said, simple, simply waddle attitude. Lovely. <laughs> I love that. But it's a good comparison, though, going back to um, Ilicic, of course saying that he's like a Serbian model because yeah, I know what you mean a little bit sort of unorthodox what's the kind of he is a bit unorthodox yeah. um, I think you could draw some comparisons between him and Milinkovic Savage and they're both sort of bigger than you expect for the position mm -hmm. but they're different they're not the same um, I yeah 
I don't know. I just think sometimes Ircic is the way he strikes a ball is is so is so neat. Like he really <laughs> he really hits the ball well. I, I think the the, the the goal of his that I like most this season is you know the the, the second one when they're playing uh, Valencia in the first leg of the Champions League mm. game because you can see the way Mangala is trying to defend him. He's like, well, if I keep him off his left foot. I'll be fine. Yeah. Show him onto his right. Show him onto his right. And then he spanks one in the top corner yeah. with his right from yeah. 20 yards. But in case anyone hasn't seen it, the goal he scored at the weekend against Lecce was was something. Mm-hmm. And it was an almost 30, 30 um, a pass build up from, from Atalanta anyway. But yeah, he sort of starts in midfield, beats a man, does a one-two to take out another couple mm-hmm. of defenders, takes out two more defenders with his three ball for Papu Gomez. Then when Gomez doesn't finish it, arrives in the area, shifts it across his body from right to left and, and, and sweeps it into the bottom corner. I mean, it is really lovely goal. Mm, yeah. Oh, just Long may it continue yeah, with Atalanta. Exactly. I think we can all agree. Uh, okay, we've got a question here from Andrew Moore who says, how's Luka Jovic doing at Real Madrid with a high demand for strikers? I'm surprised no one tried to get him on loan in January. Any info would be great. Okay, Andrew. Well, You know what? I think it's always difficult to answer a question, how is so-and-so getting on at Real Madrid unless they're absolutely smashing it because (laughs) like Gareth Bale in a a way we don't know what Zinedine Zidane feels about Luka Jovic any more than we know what he feels about Gareth Bale from week to week it can change and he gives so little away it's actually quite difficult to tell what the -hmm. the coach thinks of it remind us of the price tag of Jovic when he went to Real Madrid 60 mil it was an awful lot of money has he played that much no not that much right and you know what I don't feel as if it's a massive surprise Mm. because it's a huge step up from Eintracht Frankfurt and you know you talked about Nicky talked before about um, a hole being more than the sum of the parts you could argue we've seen that with Rebic although he's had a great 2020 so far uh, Sebastian Aller and Luka Jovic who were the perfect combination and I remember Hello, telling me on Ramble Meets. It's, it's not just that. It's the fact that they had time to get used to each other's games and they, they were so much better in the second year than they were in the first year, not in his opinion, just because of the tactics of the coach, Adi Hutter, who played them together a lot more. But the fact they knew each other a lot more. Do you get that sort of time at big clubs mm. or, or elite clubs? I'm not sure you do. And with Jovic, there's kind of an issue in that He's arrived at the same time as Eden Hazard when they've already got Vinicius, when they've got Rodrigo emerging. And of course, Eden Hazard's been injured for a lot of the season. They've still got Bale because they couldn't shift him mm-hmm. and they've used him a, a reasonable amount this season. So where does Jovic fit? Especially as a striker who's not, he's never going to replace Benzema because only Benzema can do what Benzema does. Sure. Bringing other players into play. There is not a centre forward like him in, in world football I suppose you could say the closest is maybe Roberto Firmino although again he's he's, he's quite a different player um, so Jovic I'm, I'm sure if he's one of those guys who looks at football YouTube or even old VHS's who knows maybe he's a retro guy <laughs> I, I think maybe he's got he, a CD-ROM yeah maybe yes <laughs> I think if if you go back and look at Benzema creating for Cristiano Ronaldo and there's a reason that Benzema is Cristiano Ronaldo's favourite ever strike partner. <laughs> You'll be thinking, oh, he could be doing that for me. Yeah. He could be doing that for me. If if I was if I was playing more. The the thing that's really interested me about Jovic, and there was speculation about him being loaned out before he'd even played an official game for Real Madrid at the start of the season, 
And again, halfway through the season, I think Zidane wanted to hold on to him just so he's covered in, in, in terms of squad. And he needs to be. You can never be sure of teenagers, not can you? a lot you? of money for and a squad player, though. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't think it was entirely his signing for, for a start. Um, but when you, when you look at what can happen, I mean, remember, Rodrigo was suspended for the Classico because he got sent off playing for Castilla, the B team, the week before, for baiting the goalkeeper after he'd scored, <laughs> which is like the, the last thing you want. But what's really impressed me about Jovic, despite the fact he's been in this situation that has sometimes seemed like a hopeless situation, look at his first goal for Real Madrid. Away at Osasuna, which is not easy, he's one of Real Madrid's best performances of the season, whether people want to admit that or not. And you know when people say, oh, this striker X hasn't scored. What he needs is one to like hit him on the arse and go in. Mm. Luka Jovic's first goal for Real Madrid, he gets the chance. He absolutely smashes it into the top <laughs> corner from 15 yards. Like, I could do this all along. Are you stupid? Did you not realise? And when he does make those little contributions, and you saw it a little bit before that a couple of months ago, when they crack open a game against Sevilla in the last quarter, and he comes on and creates a goal, showing that, you know, completely eschewing this idea that he is a guy who can only score goals and that's it, that there's other stuff to his game. There should be loads more takers for him because if you're him at that age, and I realise he's still relatively young, after the season he's had at Eintracht Frankfurt, I think this season, even if you are playing at Real Madrid and earning a stack of cash, it will make thoroughly, thoroughly miserable. Mm. So I would not be surprised to, to see him move on, even if Bale were to move on as well because there's just no obvious fit in the team for him, and there never really has been. And you want to see these players play for crying out loud, yeah. you know, as, as a kind of a fan point of view. I, I do think it's super interesting, like when you first said 60 million, uh, just in my head, my immediate, like the thought that went through my head was, it's not that much. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, then, but, then, but then you contrast it with basically the same amount for Romelu Lukaku, and you mm-hmm. think, well, there's very different value there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Mm, funny that. All right. Well, let's go back to Serie A then. Uh, the pod addict uh, has tweeted us saying, "Can we end the Serie A season now and give Lazio the title, please?" <laughs> I mean, of course. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right enough. Right enough. Well, yeah. At the time of recording, this, the season hasn't yeah. been finished. Um, but of course, this is to do with coronavirus and so on and and, and bloody blah, blah. But I mean, it's it's a very interesting situation. I talked about it on 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 the continent, but. From a football point of view, I mean, obviously that there's the the, the tragedy and all the you know awful stuff that comes with the, the spread of a virus like that. So that, that that's the obvious thing, uh, you know, and the, the major thing to say. But from a purely football point of view, without sounding sort of fickle and disrespectful, it would be a great shame because this season has been such a yeah. great one. I mean, assuming this virus doesn't take us all, right? Some of us left. Indeed, this season is one day going to be a great story. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a remarkable story mm. unfolding, um, and I don't mean to be flippant about that. You know, this is actually a very serious, um, horrible thing that's going on. People are dying, mm. um, which is why it's so hard to predict what happens mm. next. Because genuinely, nobody knows where this virus is going next. Nobody knows if if as a um, a species we're going to get a good handle on it mm-hmm. soon or if it's going to drag on for years we were talking about this just before we started recording like the idea the, the idea even that we know it'll be in the background and and sorry in, you know in the past and, and dealt with by the beginning of next season is mm. is is false we don't know that mm-hmm. um so it's it's a huge impact um on on how things are going and in the meantime yes we have an extraordinary title race going on mm-hmm. um 
I think this would be a one of the best title races for some time if it was just Inter and Juventus. Yeah. The way it's been. I don't think you could say it's the outright best because I think people too easily forget quite how good Napoli were under Sadi and oh, quite yeah. how far they pushed Juventus. They were over 90 points. Mm. But the fact that it's Inter and Juventus, the two sort of historic rivals, the Derby d'Italia, the, mm-hmm. that element to it would be huge. But Lazio are... <laughs> I was going to say, you're forgetting the top li- top of the league exactly. side. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm not forgetting <laughs> not it. Forgetting, I'm, I'm just trying to put the context into what's <laughs> happening, which is that Lazio are ahead of both of those teams yeah. right now. They are... Not just ahead of them, they have beaten both of them since uh, the start of December. In Juventus' case, twice. They've done it with a much smaller budget, like a much, much smaller budget. And I think the one thing that really doesn't get talked about enough is quite how good a job Editare, who's, um, I'm going to get his official job title wrong, because they all have subtly different job titles, <laughs> but basically the sporting director at yeah. Lazio. Um, he, uh, you know, the, the guy in charge of the transfer policy, the job that he's done not just recruiting, but making sure that contracts are looked after and that you are able to keep this core together. Because as you're saying on the continent, the only real change that happened over the summer at Lazio was the arrival of of Lazzari, who's been a great addition, another sort of player who you can fit into that team, who fits, who makes sense, who can do something without disrupting it, without having to change the philosophy, the idea of what Simone Inzaghi is doing. They have lost pieces along the way. You look at uh, Stefan de Vrij going mm. to, to Inter and you think that was a huge loss yeah the like their best centre-back has gone to a direct rival who yeah. literally he <laughs> yeah. helped <laughs> I don't personally believe deliberately but who as things turned out he had a made a mess of that last game mm-hmm. and 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 helped them to overtake Lazio and you think in comes the Cherby instead and it's become an absolute rock mm-hmm. yeah I think that Simone Inzaghi I mean I mean, did you Hindsight see 2020, but I, I think that I really sincerely wonder, given that Inzaghi and Sadi were the two managers being talked about most earnestly at Juventus last summer, other than Guardiola, which was a conversation that did happen, mm-hmm. by the way, even though it was never, I don't think, ever close to happening because of what his situation was at City. Um, I do wonder, with that hindsight, if Juventus' directors think we, we took the wrong guy. Right. Because Inzaghi is, right now, for me, he is streets ahead of everyone as the, as the as the manager of of the season in Serie A, and that's saying something because I think Gasperini is doing an extraordinary mm-hmm. job at Atalanta. So, but the fact of getting this team as a genuine title contender has to put him apart. The fact that he is, again, as a, not wanting to repeat things that were on on the continent, mm-hmm. listen to that as well. Great <laughs> yeah, podcast, um, <laughs> if we may say so. I think that him and uh, I think that he's he's at the tactical forefront of what's happening right now. He is. His idea of not needing the ball, of not even um, obsessing about the high press. Lazio selectively press high. They selectively do it. They have players who will press defenders when they want to. But as a team, they sit deep. Quite clever as a team, they play. bring you in and give themselves the space to attack into. Mm-hmm. And I think that, personally, I think that's the way that... I think that's the next evolution that becomes the big trend in European football. I think you can see it because Conte is doing it in 10 hours well. But Inzaghi was doing it first. Well, that is the greatest accolade a coach could have. One might argue is to influence a style of play across, well, across borders and across leagues as well. And if that happens, then certainly 
Ian Zarkey's name will be up there in lights. Yeah. Just as you influence the mailbag show, Marcus. <laughs> uh, well, that's very kind of you to say, Andy. Someone's got to read the tweet. And <laughs> 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 not on the Discord. Um, but our time uh, on uh, the mailbag has come to an end, sadly, everybody. But it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Nikki. Anytime. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank uh, you. Thank you, everybody, for, for subscribing and, and uh, getting involved in, in uh, Patreon, of course, on Football Ramble Daily. And thank you for all your tweets and messages. We love you all dearly. We'll see you next time very soon for another mailbag. Was a Stakhanov production.